again to our service. I'm blessed in thinking of our Sunday school lesson, um, that phrase, earnestly contending for the faith. And, you know, as I, as I think of that, earnestly contending, Brother Derwin mentioned about it kind of being a double, whatever the phrase was there, um, not just contending, but earnestly contending, double whammy or whatever he said there. Um, you know, that's, that's for me. I need to earnestly contend for the faith. We can look at someone out there, over there, maybe a group over there, but it's for me and it's for us as a, as a body together, as a, a church together, that we must earnestly contend for the faith. You know, there are some philosophies and, and teachings out there that can be put in a, a, maybe a little bit of a glamorous or an eloquent way that sounds good. But we need to sort what we hear through the teachings of God's word. Trust you all have had a good Thanksgiving, are continuing to enjoy a good Thanksgiving week. And um, I, I don't have a Thanksgiving message this morning. We didn't have one last Sunday, but um, I, I do... Maybe just a little bit there with what Matt said about recognizing that what we have is all a gift from God. And how often, I'm speaking to myself as much as to anyone, but how often do we take the gifts we've been given without a second thought and forget to thank the one who has given them to us? Moving on for a message here this morning. I'm going to invite your attention again to the book of Ephesians. The last time I preached, I preached from Ephesians 2. And I, I didn't get into the last number of verses there. I, I'd like to look at verses 19 through 22 this morning. And I've entitled my message, An Holy Temple, taken from a phrase there in, in the passage. And again, as we, as we think of the church, we think the, the church, uh, we're, we're going to think of it in its plurality, not singular, not I and me and you in the singular form. We looked in Ephesians 1, uh, just a bit at the church as a body. Today it's the church as a building. And a phrase I've run across some, or a phrase, a term, a word, in looking at the church is the church being called an organism. And uh, so I went ahead and just decided to look up the word organism. What is an organism? The dictionary uh, says it is a complex structure of interdependent and subordinate elements whose relations and properties are largely determined by their function in the whole. 
Now, I had to look at that definition a little bit. Um, it didn't just, uh, well, there's some words in there that I had to think about a little bit. Looked up one or two of them, one of them. A complex structure of interdependent. So we have the word dependent in there. And as I put the word inter in there, interdependent, I think of cloth being woven together and the threads being dependent on each other. Interdependent. A complex structure of interdependent and subordinate elements. And um, I don't have a good um, dictionary definition there of subordinate, but I think of the word submission. So we have interdependent, depending on each other, and submission, one to another. And it goes on, whose relations and properties are largely determined by their function in the whole, in the structure. Let's go into our passage this morning right away, right now. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 19. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now, therefore, Paul is, from what he has just said, he's going into something new here. And if we look back through the, the previous verses in the passage, we, we see there um, God's grace, his work of grace, within us, how we were, we were once dead in trespasses and sins, and he has made us alive. Uh, verse 8 there says that we are saved by grace through faith, and he goes into to talking about the, the relationship there the Jew-Gentile relationship there, being brought together in Christ. So, as a result of this, now therefore, he says, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. The Jews and the Gentiles did not view themselves as fellow citizens. They were strangers and foreigners to each other. They were at odds, and they didn't have the privileges one of another as brothers. And I, I'm just realizing more and more my limited understanding of the Old Testament Gentiles and their relationship privileges with God. But in looking at the Jew and Gentile relationship of the Old Testament, it does typify 
some of the believer-unbeliever relationship today in Christ. But I trust that we do not view unbelievers as the Jews viewed the Gentiles, as castaways. In Christ, barriers of race and upbringing and past are broken down. God's people are one. It says here, of the same household, or no, of the household of God. So people who are of the same household, they dwell together. It's like family or a body. It, we talked about a body um, earlier, uh, a unit working together. And here in today's passage, a building. And that's what we are in Christ. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So it's going to look at the building a little bit more, but we're um, a building built on the foundation of Jesus Christ, on God's foundation. And just uh, a few passages, uh, verses I'd like to look at. You don't need to turn to them, but Matthew 21, 42. And, and we could look at numerous passages, Old Testament and New Testament, that look at this foundation as Christ, the cornerstone, Christ, the foundation. Matthew 21, 42 says, Jesus saith unto them, Did ye never read in the scriptures, and I think he's referring back to the Psalms there, the stone which the builders rejected, the same has become the head of the corner. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. So Christ, the cornerstone, the head of the corner, uh, a marvelous work. That God has done. And then jumping to Acts chapter 4. And I believe this is Peter speaking here in this passage. Acts 4 and verse, we'll start at verse 10. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and there he's bringing in Christ, that foundation stone, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which, the built, which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the corner. And so there Peter is speaking out of the words of Jesus and the Psalms as well. Then he says, as we think of this stone, a foundation stone, he says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is salvation only in Christ. and Therein is our foundation as the church. We must be building 
upon that foundation. The building begins with a good foundation. And a good solid foundation keeps the building from shifting, from moving. So, in thinking of a building, my mind has gone to the building that our church has uh, been working on to get ready for holding services in. So what if our church house had no good foundation? Shifting walls, maybe doors that stick shut and you couldn't get them open. And um, in fact, being a, a cement block building, uh, just cracked and shifted and you could really see it there. I remember that day just under a year ago that we went and looked at that building, If some of us men. And if that's what we'd have found, we would have turned and walked away. Christ is referred to as the chief cornerstone, a stone of utmost importance, a weight-bearing stone. And I don't understand uh, how ancient building worked so much, so um, relying a little bit more here on commentary, um, Albert Barnes' New Testament commentary says about the edifice resting mainly on the cornerstones. If they are small and unstable and settle down, the whole building is insecure, and hence care is taken to place a large stone firmly at each corner of an edifice. Now, what I would be more used to is how poor footers and lay blocks up and uh, we don't rely on a certain special block holding up the, the building. From what I gather here, likely the stones were what we would, what the job of our footers would do. The stone um, needed to be large probably straight, level, square, I don't know. I, I wasn't, uh, I don't understand this uh, building so much. But um, as we think of Christ being the chief cornerstone, the entirety of the Christian faith rests on the foundation of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Another thing that is brought out by the cornerstone, and uh, this is from Adam Clark uh, talking about Christ. Oh, here he says, In laying the foundation of a building, a large stone is generally placed at one of the angles or corners, which serves to form a part of the two walls, which meet in that angle. Bringing out Christ, bringing together the Jews and Gentiles, 
the two races, bringing them together in himself. We also read of Christ, and I'm not sure, it might be in First Peter, I don't have the passage specifically here, but of this stone being rejected. And we get the idea here of a stonemason rejecting a stone for various reasons, thinking of a cornerstone, uh, maybe not big enough, maybe not stable enough, whatever it may be. And Jesus was not what the spiritual builders considered a worthy cornerstone in his day. So I, back to the thought I had mentioned, what if our church house had a no good foundation under it? What if our church, I'm not talking about a building here other than the building of the church, but what if our church had no good foundation under it? Shifting people and stuck relationships. As I alluded to, the church house does have a good foundation. It's solid. It's stood the test of time. I don't know, the building's been there 50, 60, 70 years maybe. And we, we stepped in there and looked at it, and the builders here um, said it's a, it's a good building to work with. So because of that good foundation and other things, an imperfect building, but it's worth working with. And this morning, we as a group of people here are not perfect people. But with Christ as our foundation, it is worthy to continue the work of the church here, to move forward in the work in the brotherhood. With Christ as our foundation, we move forward as a brotherhood, basing our work and direction on the teachings of Christ and the Word of God. Paul spoke of the apostles and prophets here in verse 20 as being a part of that foundation in relation to the foundation. The New Testament church was led by the inspiration of God. And just thinking of the, the writings of the New Testament that we have, they were written by the inspiration of God. The Old Testament prophets, inspired by God to go and speak to the people. And there may be different ways in exactly how we see this foundation. I view this foundation as Christ supporting, Christ being the chief cornerstone, the one that supports the church. And as the apostles, their doctrines and teachings also being in that foundation, their doctrines and teachings coming under Christ, along with Christ, uh, from Christ, 
and from God the Father himself as being what the church rests on. And as we build on this foundation of Christ and the teachings of the word of God, we have a sure foundation. We have the promise of a building that will be solid. And with that, it is dangerous to annul the teachings of the Word of God, to annul the teachings of the epistles. You know, sometimes um, you may hear, well, that was, that was a teaching that Paul uh, taught or that Peter taught. And um, there may not be given uh, so much importance to that. But these men were inspired messengers from God. And as, as we observe the workings of the early church, um, at least some of these men who we read their works through the New Testament, these were men who had walked with God. And God was continuing to inspire them in their work in the church. And these teachings support and they uphold the teachings of Christ and, and salvation. And I'll just say it again. It's dangerous ground to annul the teachings of, of any of the scriptures. We go into verses 21 and 22. Moving from the foundation, there is a building on the foundation. A building, verse 21 says, fitly framed together. And verse 22 says, ye are builded together for inhabitation of God through the Spirit. Builded together on Christ. The building is the church. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church. So even back there, maybe we could say he was looking at it as a building. Ephesians 2, verse 10, same chapter here, just earlier. We are his workmanship. God, Christ, is doing a work in building the church. It's a continuing work. Albert Barnes, again in his New Testament commentary, says the different materials of the Jews and Gentiles, the, the people of various nations, though heretofore separated and discordant, now become united and form an harmonious society. They believe the same doctrines, worship the same God, practice the same holiness, and look forward to the same heaven. That is this building that is resting on Jesus Christ. And the building framed together is growing. It is a continuing work, both within the body and as it is being added to, a continuing work. We probably tend to picture modern, a modern building 
as you think of this passage. Uh, We're familiar with um, cutting lumber to length and nailing it together and building walls and adding other parts to it. I like to think a little bit of less modern techniques of building. Um, I I don't know what their building techniques were like exactly. Uh, Probably some stone buildings. Uh, But I also, I'm fascinated by the mortise and tenon method of joinery. How a tenon is cut precisely to fit into a, a carefully chiseled out mortise. And when that's done well, fitted together well, it can make a very solid frame, very solid uh, frame to, to continue the structure with. But we, we probably relate much more to the, the stud framing that we're used to seeing. Uh, what we see there at the church. And as we picture the building at church there, uh, we can picture different parts of the building. Uh, one thing that I would have noticed very early on is you see the block structure there. Um, having been a mason for some time, yeah, I would notice that pretty quickly. Block structure. Um, you go inside. And you're seeing two-by-fours nailed together, framed together. You look up top, you see uh, rafters or trusses. You look down, you see concrete on the floor. And then you go outside and you see metal covering the structure. So the building is many parts, but it's one building. And there's going to be many more parts, many more pieces go into the building, but it's one building. It's not many buildings. It's not additions to the building. It's one building. We don't have lumber here making one part of the building and um, drywall coming up making another part of the building and Before that, there's going to be electrical and plumbing going into it. That making another part of the building. No, it's one building. And I would also say as a newer congregation, we are not an addition. But we are completely a part of the building of God. Builded together. We could bring that down even closer. And when a new member is taken into the church, it's not an addition to the church, but they are completely one with the church. Not built onto, but into or in with. A new member is not a new impressive support piece, but rather a support with. Individual people bring their strengths to the church. But one person is not enough to support a doctrine. Maybe 
fictitious brother Henry. Maybe his, re- his presence is the only reason a church is maintaining nonconformity. But it won't last if that's the case. Sooner or later, the brother's going to pass on. And if it hasn't died before he passes on, who's going to be there to maintain it? It needs to be a working together. I also find it fascinating that this is the one building that the materials are used to continue the work of building. Relating to our church house, we tore a lot of stuff out of that church house. Those materials were doing no good to rebuild what was going on inside. But you and I are materials in this church of God. First Peter, we're going to turn there a bit later, or just pretty soon. But First Peter talks about lively stems, about materials that are alive, that are working. And that's you and I here today. We are lively stones or whatever you want to think of as materials that are continuing the work of the church. Now, again, in verses 21 and 22, I want to pick out two more phrases. Uh, Verse 21 calls this church or this building an holy temple in the Lord. Verse 22 says, an habitation or a dwelling place of God through the Spirit. Now, this gives us a little peek into the glory of the church. If it were possible to build a a building worthy of God's presence, that this is where God dwells, okay? And we know it's not possible. But if it were possible to do that, you men who enjoy building could work and you could pour over plans and you could draw plans and redraw plans and you you would never be satisfied. You you simply could not make it good enough, right? I I think we would agree with that. We, We are too small to build something if you can understand what I'm saying here, but something actually worthy of God for him to dwell in. Here it says that this building, the church, is that building built as an holy temple in the Lord and as an habitation of God through the Spirit. Now that is God's work, the work of Christ, on the foundation of Christ. And that's a picture of the glory of the church, a temple made worthy for God to dwell in. I'm going to turn yet to 1 Peter in closing here. And it does 
talk here in this passage about the building. 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, in verse 5, that's the verse there. The lively stones. The spiritual house. But I want to, to look, uh, focus a little more on verse 9. And just looking at the beautiful people, the beautiful church, maybe I should say, um, that God has created. And the, the lofty description that he gives um, in this verse here. Uh, let's begin reading the, uh, verse 1. Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and evil speakings, as newborn babes, desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. If so be, ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also, as lively stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. There we have that precious stone to God's people. But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner. And just, uh, I might just pull out here right now that in thinking of that stone as being a large stone, um, some of the commentaries would have talked about it as being a stone that may have kind of stuck out from the other stones. So here you have the corner, at the cornerstone, and your wall is going here, and here's this large cornerstone that's sticking out. Verse 8 says, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. So this is to those that believe not, who are um, yeah, where that the builders disallowed. Um, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. And now, there's the change here, but he's looking at the church. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now, but are now the people of God which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Verse 9 there, a chosen generation. He's not looking at a singular person again. A royal priesthood, not just a priest. A royal priesthood, not a holy person, but a holy nation and a peculiar people. 
There we have that plurality again. And brothers and sisters, as we together are one in Christ and a part of the church of God throughout the earth, we together are a part of all of this. Something that we can't be on our own. If it's just me, yes, we are a part of that, but it's not just singular, not just one. What does it do to us to think of us as a part of a chosen and holy and royal and peculiar organism together the habitation of God I trust it brings a humility to us recognizing it's not what I've done but it's what God is doing but I trust that it also brings to us a desire for holiness, a desire to be lively stones building up the church of God, the materials continuing to be used in the building process, to become more and more one with the people of God. I trust that it draws us to desire in our own as a body or a building, a habitation of God, that we would desire more and more within our personal hearts, that habitation of God. We could probably continue on with this for some time as we think of the continued work and of bringing into the building. Um, That is also a desire and a work of the church of bringing, and, and I alluded to that, new members being added to the church. And so let's continue as God's people, as God's building, to build within, to build from without, and to continue to become more and more that holy priesthood unto God. Let's kneel for prayer.